Morning. Uh, I'm going to continue with church history today, um, as if picking it back up sequentially. So looking through my notes, it looks like the last time I taught on that was 2021. Uh, so it's been a little while. And we had just introduced the Middle Ages. We're transitioning from the early church period into uh, the biggest period. The Middle Ages sort of covers from 500 to 1500 or so, so a thousand years for this chunk. Uh, and so jumping into that today, I want to sort of set the scene for what was going on uh, politically, at least, um, before we look at something more in depth. Um, so one of the major transition points or dates given to uh, by historians to the, the difference between the early and the Middle Ages is the fall of Rome. Anybody remember what year that took place? The fall of Rome? <laughs> yes. <laughs> 476 is the date that historians assign to that. Um, and that's an interesting thing. You know, we have the saying, history is written by the winners, and they usually have an agenda when they write it. Uh, and the same holds true for that date being given to the fall of Rome. Uh, leading up to this point 476 Rome was western Rome the empire at that point it had split east and west we we looked at that the east was headquartered in uh formerly Byzantium now Constantinople because emperor Constantine renamed it after himself um, but there was still a tattered western Roman empire uh, and it was going through a lot of um coups a lot of uprisings uh, over a period of roughly 20 years leading up to that, they had 17 different emperors. Um, and in fact, the, the emperor at the time of 476, the one who fell, uh, was just a teenager, wasn't a descendant of the emperors. He was probably somebody's puppet who they'd put in uh, for that position. Uh, and one of the actual descendants of the emperors was still alive and ruling a little kingdom up in what is modern-day Croatia. So Rome wasn't a powerful empire that suddenly got conquered in 476. Uh, it was already struggling. And in fact, in 476 was just another changing of the guard, if you will. Uh, a man by the name of, uh, I forget it now, Autoatius, I think was what it was. Um, it was from a Germanic tribe up north. Um, not the Goths, but history says that Rome was conquered by the Goths. And we'll talk about that in a bit as well. But he was the one who in 476 came in and attacked Rome and got the teenage emperor to sign, you know, that he would uh, transfer authority to this guy. And now this guy, uh, Autoatius, was the emperor, the ruler of Rome. And that was actually a good thing. That wasn't the fall of an empire that crumbled. He was a strong ruler who built Rome up for the next 17 years. He, he cleaned the city up. He brought structure and order to Rome once again, uh, and in fact was making Rome a place to be again. Uh, and then after 17 years of his reign in 493, uh, a guy, an actual Goth named Theodoric the Goth, he's one that you may have heard of, he's one of the more popular and well-known kings of that time period, came in and he conquered Rome. And he was even stronger and more powerful and continued to build up Rome. So we say the fall of Rome, but it 
it wasn't. It was actually making Rome great again, in a way. They had the hats and everything. They had the hats and everything. Helmets, actually. But they were black because they were Gothic. So. Um, so why don't we call it, you know, making Rome great again? Why do we call it the fall of Rome? Well, because these weren't the guys who ended up writing history. The guy who wrote history was over in the Eastern Roman Empire, uh, where we get into the early 500s, and we have the strong Emperor Justinian, uh, who I think we've talked about already. And he was a very strong empire, uh, I think probably the strongest of, of the Eastern Roman Empire. He was the strongest emperor they had. Uh, and under his authority, they started to actually see Rome as a challenge. All these guys making Rome stronger again was a threat to his authority and to his rule. So he had a, a historian write a paper saying that Rome had fallen to the Goths back in 476, and they needed to go liberate their kinsmen. So that was his excuse to muster an army and head to Rome uh, in 526 AD. So he took his army over there, and from 526 to 529, they went back and forth and really throughout all of Italy, fighting with, at this time, the Goths under Theodoric, conquering Rome, losing Rome the next year, conquering it the next year. And that really is what destroyed Rome. Um, in about 526 to 529, the historians estimate the population of Rome fell to 5% of what it was just through the wars that were happening. And these weren't, it wasn't the citizens fighting, it was the Goths fighting the, the Eastern Roman Empire. And, and those in Rome were just the casualties of war. Uh, so the result of all of that truly caused that area to fall, caused it to crumble and be weak. Yes, Doug? Is the Goths a political party? Then? The Goths were a people group. Um, a culture, yeah. Like when I say the Germanic tribes, they were, I don't know exactly what region of Europe they were from. There were two groups, the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths, and, and that was their national heritage. It was how they identified themselves. Nothing to do with gothic people these days who dress in black and listen to emo music. <laughs> it's not on TV. No, not, not those guys. So they were, they were the Goths. Uh, Theodoric, I think, was a Visigoth. It was from... That's G-O-S-P? G-O-T-H. Goth. Yeah. And they became the Germans? They were one of the Germanic, Frankish, that part of the world tribes. Yeah. Um... But Theodoric finally, in 529 A.D., lost Rome, um, ultimately to Justinian, uh, and left that area in shambles, and then Justinian turned his attention to the east, where the Persian Empire, which had been around really since uh, before the Greeks, since we've, we saw, looking through Daniel, I mean, Persia came up after Babylon, this was that same empire that had waxed and waned and waxed and waned throughout the centuries. It was becoming a power again, and they started to invade the Middle East and into modern-day Turkey, which was getting close to um, Constantinople, where Justinian was ruling. So he turned his attention that way and started to fight a battle with Persia. Uh, and it was a very successful campaign. He actually pushed them all the way back to the capital city of Nineveh, uh, familiar city there. That was the capital of Persia at the time. Uh, and 
defeated the Persian Empire sort of for good. That was the last time that they would be a power force. Um, but it had stretched the Eastern Roman Empire so thin doing all these wars that they didn't have the, the numbers to maintain that territory from Rome to Persia. So they fell back and just left weak areas on the outskirts. Um, and that sets the scene for what we're going to encounter in the 600s uh, and why things are going to go the way they are. So what we're going to talk about for the most part today is uh, the rise of Islam, which happened in the 600s and is a significant part of church history and, and what's going to go on with the church. Uh, I want to start by reading two different statements, one from Islam and one from the Bible. So Islam's central confession states, there is but one God and Muhammad is his prophet. Compared to 1 Timothy 2.5, which says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. So, we already see between Christianity and Islam, some similarities, one God, but also differences in who God's prophet mediator is. Um, we often hear about, talk about Muslims these days in the news, um, usually in a negative sense. Uh, it was just 9-11 this last week, and for, you know, for us that remember that, that was in many ways associated with the Muslims and a Muslim attack on America, um, and that is often how our news continues to portray them, as these acts of terror, or through our Voice of the Martyrs pamphlet, we see a lot about the Muslims are persecuting Christians in Africa uh, lately, killing them by the hundreds. Um, and so usually Muslims are portrayed in a bad way. Um, it's a, important for us to remember uh, that they are um, people, they're following a religion, but they still need the gospel. Um, and they're a, probably one of our more difficult uh, missionary fields, if you will. Um, and so I think it might be helpful for us to have a basic understanding of what, what their background is, what they believe, and how we can interact with them to share the gospel with those who believe the religion of Islam. Uh, the religion of Islam began with one man, we already said his name, Muhammad. Um, he was born, well, before I go into his details, I'll start by saying we don't know these details that well. Uh, what we know about him comes from quotes of a biography that we don't have that was written 120 years after he died. So, of a person we don't know who wrote it, if I'm not mistaken. Do we know? I th we know who wrote the biography, the, okay. or claims to have written it, but we don't have it. Yeah. So, so you know, there's a little bit of uncertainty with the details here. But I'm going to tell the story like it's known. Uh, he was born in the city of Mecca sometime around A.D. 570. Um, we've already seen this is about the time that Pope Gregory I was ruling in Rome, uh, leading as the Pope, and he was one who had a particular focus on missions. He was sending people out all over, so they were going to encounter the Muslims real quick with the church. And in fact, the Muslims and Muhammad were very aware of the teachings of Christianity because of the efforts of Pope Gregory. Um, so he 
Muhammad, born in Mecca, where the primary religion at the time was paganism. It was just a tribal variety, polytheistic type of a religion, not, not organized, a lot of disunity in that area. Um, by the early 600s, he began to have his doubts about paganism um, and started to make claims that he had received divine revelation uh, via the angel Gabriel. I wrote angle. Angel. Gabriel. Um, probably the same angel that talked to Joseph Smith. <coughs> angel. That'd be a small A? Yes. Capital D. Uh, the pagan religion, as I said, was polytheistic. They believed in many gods, and Muhammad um, believed that there was only one true god, Allah, which is just the Arabic word for God. Yeah. Um, Muhammad was aware of the basics of Christianity with its claim of one God, except he misunderstood it. He thought that uh, Christians were polytheists because of the Trinity. He thought we believed in three gods, therefore we couldn't be right because there should only be one God. Uh, early on, as he began to spread these teachings in Mecca, it wasn't very popular. Uh, in fact, uh, as often happens, a lot of the economic power of the rich in that city was tied to the pagan and idolatry religion, so they didn't like him teaching something different that would threaten their money base. Uh, so he got kicked out of Mecca, and he fled to Medina, uh, where he continued to teach with almost 100% success. Uh, before very long, basically all of Medina was behind him as Muslim converts. Uh, and so in the year, around the year, AD 630, he took all of his followers, an army of about 10,000 people from Medina, and went back to Mecca and conquered it by military might, um, since they had kicked him out and he couldn't just convert them the normal way, if you will. Um, from Mecca now, he converted their main pagan temple to be the, the primary, most important temple in Islam, and then they began to spread um, their faith from there, uh, following the pattern that had just worked. They found military conquering to be a good way to spread their faith. Uh, they did do some evangelism and things. Um, but one of the reasons that the military method was so effective is because of the setting that we just saw. Um, the Eastern Empire was weak at this time. The Persian Empire to the north and east of Arabia had been wiped out. Rome and that area were weak, so it was easy for this new army out of the Arabian Peninsula to spread through northern Africa, to spread east towards India. Uh, the, really, the only resistance they encountered was trying to get up into the Eastern Roman Empire. They were able to hold them back at that area. Um, but quickly did they, they spread. Um, Muhammad didn't live much longer. He apparently died in A.D. 632, um, but his followers continued to spread all throughout. Um, eventually, they crossed uh, through northern Africa and crossed the, into the Iberian Peninsula, Portugal and Spain, across the Mediterranean, and began to push up that way to threaten the, western, the remnants of the Western Empire. Um, 
They even made it as far as France by the 700s, but thankfully around that time, a new empire started to rise up in that area, um, the Frankish Empire, France, Franks, uh, under a leader named Charlemagne the Great. Uh, And he was able to push them back all the way out of Spain, back down into Africa. Uh, Meanwhile, the Byzantine Empire held them in place in Eastern Europe, uh, but they spread through the remnants of Persia all the way into India. Uh, And really that set the scene for the Muslims to be a power force from then on in that part of the world. Um, One of the uh, more interesting facts about their army and the success of their army is comes from what their religion teaches. Um, They were not allowed to drink alcohol, so their armies were always sober. Gives you a little bit of an advantage when the other army is either drunk or hungover. It's true. It is. Yeah. Germany had a real problem with that, actually. Did they? They still do. They still do. All right, so that was sort of the historical what happened with uh, with the Muslims, how they got their start. Yeah, Doug? Muslim is the people. So a person who believes the religion of Islam is a Muslim. Yeah. So let's look now at what, uh, what Islam meant for the church in this time period. Uh, we all know the church began in Jerusalem and then spread primarily westward, northward into northern Africa, into Europe. Uh, the church had gone from a small persecuted group of people to the official religion of the empire under Constantine to now in some ways at this point in history a separate powerful political entity that could even depose and name emperors. Uh, and so after 600 years of this evolution of the church, the church's home city, Jerusalem, is being threatened and in fact got conquered by the Muslims. They took over that area. From now on, with that conquering, the Islamic faith, those people, would prove to be the greatest opponent, if you will, the most powerful opponent of the missionary efforts of the church in that area. Uh, There's an ancestry, most of the non-Jewish Uh, Middle Eastern people are descendants, many of them, of Ishmael. But there's not like all descendants of Ishmael are Muslim or vice versa. There's nothing specific there with that correlation. Not that I'm, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Ask God when you get to heaven. (laughs) Um, One of the, so it's not all bad. That's a horrible way to say it, that Muslims <laughs> conquered lining. the way they did. The silver lining is that uh, they sort of erased one of the popular heresies of the time in the church. Um, the heresy of the Monophysites, who taught that Jesus could not have been both God and man, um, because one person can only have one nature. Mono is one, Physite, nature. They believed, okay, he was either God or he was man, but he couldn't have been both. Uh, And somehow that teaching had taken root, especially with the church in um, Syria and the church in Egypt. And um, it had the effect of splitting the Eastern church primarily because you had the, those who believed in the, the two natures were 
um, the political seat in um, Constantinople, and then you had these outer regions that held to this other faith, and that's part of the reason why those areas fell, because when the Muslims attacked, um, the Eastern Roman Empire was hesitant to come and defend them, because there was a separation in their beliefs and in their identity. They had been fighting as a church up to that point. Um, and so this sort of marks the end of what we see historically with the Monophysite heresy, um, with the conquering of those two regions. Well, I don't advocate military conquering as a way to combat heresy. <laughs> All right. Um, so I want to look a little bit about what Islam actually teaches and how that is different from uh, Christianity. Uh, first of all, they also, like the Monophysites, re reject the divinity of Jesus um, because they believe that if Jesus was God, that would make him a second God and there can only be one God. Um, they do believe that Jesus was a historical figure. They believe he was a prophet. In fact, they will even say he was the second greatest prophet after Muhammad. After Muhammad. <laughs> um, uh, they have some interesting differences between God, the Father, and Allah. Um, we know that God is uh, a loving, he's caring, he's merciful, he's holy, he's good. James tells us every good thing comes from above. Uh, he's the father. We see him in that light. Uh, whereas for Muslims, they they don't associate any of those characteristics with Allah. They see Allah as a powerful, uh, transcendent, sort of separate, uh, supreme ruler. There's no relationship between his followers and him. It's a, um, almost a dictatorship, if you will, of how Allah rules people. Uh, and so instead of having a loving relationship with God as a father and we as his adopted sons and daughters, they only serve and submit to Allah as his servants. In fact, the word Islam is the Arabic word submission. It is the religion of submission to the dictator God. Uh, the main book uh, of Islam, the holy book, is the Quran. Uh, which is a collection of Muhammad's revelations. Uh, he supposedly received them while meditating in a cave outside of Mecca. Uh, and in fact, he had his doubts initially when he first encountered the angel Gabriel. He thought maybe it was a demon or Satan trying to trick him, trying to lead him astray. But his wife pointed out that he was a good man and God would not allow him to be deceived. Therefore, this must be a messenger from God. And he bought it. That's a nice premise. Yep. You're a good man. You're a good man. So the, the Quran contains uh, 114 chapters. So Quran contains 114 chapters uh, written in a format similar to the book of Proverbs. It's sort of a, a poetic uh, instruction, good principles type of a thing. Um, the Muslims claim that the Quran, the true Quran, can only exist in the language of Arabic, the original language it was written in. Any translation of it is sort of a helpful commentary, but is not the Quran.
Uh, within it, there are five main points that his followers must obey. Uh, they must confess that Allah is the only God and Muhammad is his prophet, as I read, their central confession. They must pray five times a day. On that note, I recently saw that the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota is now broadcasting the call to prayer. Yeah. It's a huge Muslim population there. Uh, the third, they are to give to the poor. Uh, four, they are to fast during the month of Ramadan. Uh, their holy month. I didn't go into any more detail about what that is or why. Uh, mm -hmm. And the fifth, at some point in their life, all Muslims must make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Um, and then, although not one of the five duties, another key concept of Islam, a uh, word we're familiar with, is that of jihad, uh, which is the word struggle, or uh, we call it holy war sometimes. This is a twofold idea for uh, the Islamic religion. It uh, represents both their personal struggle of, of their individual will against the will of Allah uh, and also of their missionary efforts as a religion against the rest of the world. It is a struggle for them, and they're willing to fight to, to spread their faith. Uh, just like the struggle that we've seen uh, in the Bible, we see it with... Um, the Pharisees and the Judaism, and we see it in the church throughout history a lot. Um, there is uh, a role for tradition, the teachings handed down verbally outside of the Quran. Uh, those can be authoritative within the Islamic belief system. We have the affirmation that these words were from God because of the miracles worked by the apostles as proof that they were God's messengers. Uh, something Muhammad didn't have. They think of Jesus as the second greatest prophet of their religion, but not God. So they had to have rewritten some significant portions of the Bible to come to that conclusion. So, uh, another authority, if you will, within the Islamic faith is the uh, perfectly historically accurate account of how Muhammad lived. <laughs> which serves as an example to other Muslims as how they should live. They basically see him as a perfect man, and his life choices are the standard that the rest of them should strive for. Uh, as we've already seen in our study of church history, uh, the church has been split into east and west. Well, e even the Muslims are split. There are two groups, the Sunnis and the Shiites, uh, and those groups are perpetually at war. Uh, I didn't dive into the differences between them, but they have two groups also. I went out of order with my notes here, so i got to figure out where I'm at. Sorry. I brought in the political scene later in my notes and realized that eh, it's probably better to set that up before we get into this to understand better. Um, but I guess there was a little bit more I did want to cover. Yeah, I don't think I went into explaining as well about why uh, Justinian and those guys attacked and how they rewrote history. Uh, I explained that they said they were liberating, um, but it was more than that. He actually had somebody write, um, write a letter saying that, uh, not a letter, but a publishment, a historian saying that the, the Western Empire had fallen to the Goths 
because the Goths were the bad guys at that time. So even though the guy who conquered wasn't a Goth, they said the Goths conquered Rome, and now we have to go liberate them. Uh, and so they did that. I don't think I clarified that. Um, and then, I know, right? Don't worry, it goes on. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more also um, about the, the Frankish Empire that I mentioned and what happened there in the 700s. Um, as I mentioned, they, a new empire rose uh, in Western Europe um, under a, a Christian emperor, or he claimed to be Christian, Charlemagne. Um, he was crowned the emperor by the Roman pope at the time, Leo III. Uh, he crowned him the Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, and in fact, there is still a remnant of a Holy Roman Empire that has never been conquered today. It's the kingdom of Liechtenstein. Is that correct? Yeah. Technically, Liechtenstein is the remnants of this Holy Roman Empire, never conquered. Um, as I said... It is. It's easy to miss, and it's way up in the mountains. The island that they missed. Yeah. Uh, Pope Leo III claimed that he had the authority to declare who was the emperor based on a document that mysteriously turned up at that time called the Donation of Constantine. It was uh, supposedly a letter that had been written by Emperor Constantine back in the 300s that uh gave the authority over Western Roman Empire, the western half of the empire, to the, the Roman Pope. Um, that no one knew of prior. Yeah, nobody knew about it, though, somehow, until this time here in the 700s, and suddenly there's the document. And, <laughs> and they kept it. They kept using that. In fact, that maintained the authority of popes over emperors, emperors in the Western Empire, uh, until the 15th century, when church historians realized, did some studying, and said, oh, you know what, this document is fraudulent. It wasn't, could not, you know, whatever studies they did, could not have been written by the Emperor Constantine. I know, hard to believe there was some uh, dishonesty in the church for the sake of authority. <laughs> we didn't get, the Ottoman is an empire that comes much later it, yeah. Um, Sounds like historical revisionism. It, it is. Like I said, history is written by the winners yep. to justify their actions. Exactly. It really is. Um, not to get too political, but I in some ways saw some parallels with um, what Putin claimed when they invaded Ukraine, that those were his people and they were going to liberate them. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Justinian did with Rome. Except... Putin hasn't won yet, so if he wins, he can write history and say that, you know, they did it to, to liberate. But, um, so, I guess in conclusion, looking at the religion of Islam, we're going to see a lot throughout the Middle Ages with how the Church interacts with Islam, and by interacts, I mean goes to war, the Crusades. Um, but they are a people group, and, and they're still around. They're growing. They're probably the largest empire, if you will, in the world today, or that has ever been. Taking over Minneapolis. They're in just about every community anymore. Um, I think I've been reading that they're 
gaining significant political power in much of Western Europe, even in England and Britain. So around here we don't see much of it, at least that I know of, but we will in our life. We will certainly encounter Muslims, and we will want to evangelize them, and be able to debate with them and hopefully convert them, because they are people made in the image of God. Um, so, For sure, there are elect among the Muslims. Uh, so some things to keep in mind, uh, some differences, maybe points of conversation. They see Christians as polytheists, remember that. Um, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, he's only a prophet. They don't see God as being a loving being or one that we can know and have a relationship with. Uh, and they hold the Koran above the Bible uh, as far as authority goes. Um, what they need is to be confronted with the truth of the gospel about who God is, God's nature, man, and their condition, um, because they try to earn their salvation, uh, and really what Christ did, that he wasn't just a prophet, that he was God's atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, he is the only means of salvation, uh, and that he was resurrected. They actually don't believe that he died on a cross and was resurrected because he was a good man and God wouldn't have let that happen to him. It's a strange tenet of their faith, apparently. Good things don't happen to good, or bad things don't happen to good people. 